finally glad I got to do something special. Um, I think this would be a fun episode. This is a true story. To find out what happens, what happens. when people stop being polite. Start getting. <laughs> back with another episode of the real world um i got the chance to be joined by like a really cool person that i thought that would be able to speak on some issues today i got mrs timmy bennett hello 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 so really excited to kind of get you in here i know we talked about this for like what like a month and a half <laughs> right 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 um glad we were able to finally connect me too uh i think the sad thing is that what really sparked this was kind of when Kanye went off the rails. Right. He released all of his stuff, and then I still didn't record anything about it. And okay. a lot of people kept asking me, like, yo, so what's your take on it? Right. And I'm like, nah, I'm, I'm holding out. Like, right, right. Until I get the perfect person to talk to about this, I didn't want to do the episode. Okay. Um, But I just kind of hopped into it. All right. So. Uh, so Should I talk about myself? Nah, yeah. Give it first? Intro- yeah, give an introduction to yourself. So my name's Timmy Bennett. Um, I'm an attorney by trade, but I'm in the policy space right now. I serve as director of policy and uh, director of policy and communication at Consumer Health Foundation here in DC. We're a found- private foundation that um, focuses on advancing racial equity in the region. And so I work with policymakers. Before joining the foundation, I was at DC Council. I worked with a few council members as legislative counsel and focusing on economic development and racial equity. And now I work with policymakers all around. So from uh, Montgomery County, Prince George's County, Fairfax County, and DC, and try to help them advance racial equity. So you're one of two things. You're either a community organizer mm-hmm. in the Barack Obama mold, or you're a lobbyist. No, we're not. So it's different because uh, we're a foundation in that, like, we don't advocate. Our grantees do that for, like, you know, we uh, fund nonprofits. And so our nonprofits um, lobby or advocate for issues. As a foundation, um, we don't. By law, we can't um, advocate. So when I say work with policymakers in the region, I mean, Um, meet with them and see and try to find out where they are on the racial equity spectrum and then provide support. So, hey, if you need, I can commission data and reports if you're not sure what. So when I say racial equity and doing a um, policy work with a racial equity approach, I mean looking at the data and disaggregating it by race and then making decisions based on that data, right? So say you're a policymaker, and a lot of times people do reports, but they don't necessarily uh, disaggregate the data by race. Example of this is like Fairfax County. You could say the minimum income in Fairfax is like 70,000 or something like that. And so a lot of people think, oh, Fairfax is doing well. But if you look at that that data and disaggregate it by race, then you see that the people of color, the black and brown communities are not nowhere near that medium income. And so they obviously are not doing as well as you would think. And so because of that, we, we try to position policymakers in a place to address those inequities. And so, and we focus on race because uh, race is the number one predictor of outcomes. And that's education, economic um, development, I mean, economic uh, empowerment, that's health, that's life expectancy, that's everything, right? So that we, we believe that if you focus on race and you address racial inequity, then everybody benefits. And by that, I mean, if 
the poor people or the low income communities of, or not even if the black and brown people in Fairfax, for example, if it was, they lived, if Fairfax was more equitable, then that means that they're making more money and they're increasing the tax base and the commercial tax base of that county, right? So then everybody, like the policymakers, the white people, everybody would benefit if all communities were thriving. Does that make sense? So it makes sense to me, but the question I ask is, if you're a county, in a sense, and we'll you just use Fairfax because you mm-hmm. use that, what's the incentive to change the, like, I guess, like, I'd say some of those outcomes? And, like, what's the incentive? And certainly, I get As a policymaker like, or as a, for me personally? No, as a policymaker. Okay, like, right, right. You personally, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right, So right. you want to see us do well. <laughs> right, right, right. But I mean, as a policymaker, as a, policy a lot of times, maker. like, I feel like this is why we don't necessarily have change. People right. see... The median income is $70,000 a year. Right. Fairfax is what? Top five in school districts in the country. Right. There are all of these things that are positive about it, so they're not necessarily motivated to change what's really not. Well, as a policymaker, you have, you, I mean, you assumably, you're for all of your constituents. And if your constituents aren't doing well, and it doesn't matter if it's... Um, the white people, you, if you still, if black people are still your constituents, right? Or the people of color, the Latino, the black and brown community, communities sure. are still your constituents. And if they are not thriving, then you have a duty and a public responsibility to that community. And so to me, that would be that incentive. Um, it probably sounds a bit egalitarian uh, or assuming that policymakers are all coming from the same place. But then if you, if you choose or want to stay elected, then you know you actually have to care about optics, and so it doesn't matter if you personally care about these communities or. Um, but for optics' sake, you have to show that you care, right? So you can be galvanized. This is like these are ways that you can have community pressure, and you can galvanize people who maybe their policies are actually contrary to what you believe in, but. If you can get community support, and by community support, I mean advocates, nonprofits, if they highlight these inequities that you are perpetuating as a policymaker, you're going to be moved to change that. If you get some, if you're in a newspaper, if you're in the post for doing something racist, or not even racist, what can be perceived as racist, you're going to do everything you can to correct that, right? So even for the, for the sake of maintaining your position, you can be, I think community pressure is a very uh, effective tool in getting policymakers to care about things they might not personally care about. So that makes me jump into a question. Um, and it's not that I want to get away from what you're saying. Uh, yeah. But this had me thinking. Um, one of the things that I kind of like, you know, spun off you is that usually when we have incidents of racism mm-hmm. um, that are recorded, kind of, right. you know, put to the world and social media tears people apart. Right. Uh, whether it's, you know, the woman that complained about people throwing a barbecue. Barbecue or, Becky, permit right. Patty, uh, ID right. Adam. Sure. Yeah. So like, I don't know, like, I don't know what the pool guy's name has been. Right. Um, I, they keep changing it. The last time I heard, I think it was called ID Adam, but that so might, you have, might be like, different. I can no. think of three instances in probably the last two months where right. you've had a situation where these people have done things that they didn't think in their minds were racist. Right. But once people told them that, they've then come out to say, look, hey, I'm not a racist person. Look at my right. past. Right. How do we explain that? Okay, so this is, I'm so glad you asked that question. So um, in order to explain it, I think we have to acknowledge 
bias, unconscious bias, and or so unconscious bias or implicit bias. And so we have to really start thinking about how we think as a person. And I'm talking about mind science, I'm talking about evidence-based. This is how we as humans think. And if you ask anybody, any white person, they will say that they believe in equality. They will say that racial discrimination is wrong, right? Like, so consciously they have these values of equality, but, and, and, and statistically overt acts of racism are by and large, like prior, I mean, it's probably higher uh, under this current administration, but it used to be 10%, right? Sure. Of overt acts of racism. And so, but, um, the vast majority of our behavior and decision-making is done unconsciously. And so I think a lot of people don't understand that. And when your actions and decision-making is contrary to the values or the conscious behavior that you believe in, then that is unconscious bias or implicit bias. And so um, we have uh, schemas, which is the mental structure of our mind and it enables us to categorize things. So it, and, and because we can categorize these things, it enables us to make quick decision-making um, and uh, b make big, big things very specific. And by that, I mean that um, if I see an Asian person walking down the street, I've made assumptions in my mind about them. If I see a black woman walking down the street, if I see a white woman, if I see a woman versus a man, I have these assumptions about gender that I make already, right? I've already categorized them into different buckets, and I've never even had, uh, I spoke to them, right? Sure. So that, those, these schemas, when we categorize people, um, what ends up happening is that we act on those like assumptions that we've made. And so I can say that I am not racist, you know, as this white female who um, maybe I, I, I can like I can believe like truly believe that I'm not racist, but I act in race or I do my my actions are racist. And a lot of times we are not conscious of these unconscious bias because they're unconscious and because we have a in America, a culture of not talking about race that enables these unconscious bias to perpetuate. And they uh, manifest in permanent patty. They manifest in napping while black. Like if you ask any of these people, and they do after the incidents, they go on record and they go on camera and say that I'm not racist. And of course, like, oh, I... I have a, like, they might say I have a one black friend, right? Or they might say, say that, that like, I do community service, or they might say, you know, at that point, they're trying to prove their humanity and um, how great of a person they are. But none of that matters because you did, you your actions reflect your racism. So here's, I agree with you. Yes. But here's the devil's advocate position. Right. We can sometimes make those same assumptions about people uh, who look just like us. Everybody has unconscious bias. Right. And I think that the danger is a lot of times we label things as being racist because, again, in that same position, mm -hmm. maybe we make that same choice that that person did. Now, certainly there are extremes to that. Like, I can't excuse you calling the cops on a black child. Black people don't call the cops on black people for napping. Right. Like, I'm not going right. to do that. Like, if you're, right. you're sleeping in a dorm room, I don't right. care. Like, yeah. I'm certainly going to mind my business. Black but person maybe wouldn't if, call the cops on somebody barbecuing in a park either. Nah, of course not. But right. I, I think that that comes with a lot of that, you know, gentrification. Uh, one of the biggest reasons why police are getting called so much now are people that are, aren't necessarily familiar with neighborhoods and their transplants 
they see neighborhood people and they think they look suspicious when they're the outliers True. being the people that are moving in so I also, but I, I would also add that black people also don't call the cops on black people not nearly as much as white people call the cops on black people because we know that we're when you do that you know you're, you're risking somebody lives. right like somebody could end up dead right? right we don't look at the police as de-escalators of crises sure and so that um because of that like even if something happens that we're uncomfortable with a black person will think twice it doesn't matter that we will even if we have assumptions uh comp- that are comparable to the white person's assumptions we still will think twice about calling those poli- police on that behavior but i've always thought and i guess uh, definitely to your point um i remember having a house party once yes. uh you know, uh, I'm in my mid thirties. Uh, I remember at the time telling my neighbors, Hey, I'm going to have a party. Everybody's like, Oh, okay. Uh, most of my neighborhood not looking like me at the time. Right. And when I did it, it was fine. And so one neighbor decided that they should call the cops. Mm -hmm. The easiest thing would have did, at least in my opinion, would have said, Hey, you know, regardless of whatever day it is, you mind keeping it down this is the situation. Right. If I then was to act in a rude way or an aggressive way, certainly you escalate it to maybe a situation where you call the police. Right. That was their first recourse. No one knocked on my door. Right. Nobody said anything. Right. Cops knocked on the door. Fortunately, one of my best friends is a cop. Mm -hmm. So he goes to the door like, hey guys, what's going on? And they're like, oh, we got a noise complaint. You know, he talks cop lingo, so everything's fine. Mm Mm-hmm. But what happens if he's not there? And certainly, I don't think that that leads to a situation where like somebody's gonna get shot. But I think that that introduced a level of, um, let's just say like I don't even want to say effort, but it it probably introduced a level of strain that it didn't need to be. Right. Now I'm gonna look at my my neighbors like which neighbor called the police on me instead of speaking to me. Right. Now if I would have been in that situation, I would have just knocked on somebody's door. I've done that before. Like hey, it's four o'clock in the morning. Keep it down. Yeah. Not going to beat you up. I'm not going to call the cops. What's right. up? And then, I mean, then I think you also be asking yourself if you were white, would the cops have been called on you, right? Maybe that neighbor would have been more comfortable coming to you and saying, so there's also racial anxiety, sure. right? And so white people experience this um, at very heightened levels. White, black people rarely uh, comparable to the levels for white people. And that can manifest in ways when um, a white person gets on an elevator with a black person, their stress level increases all the time. Whereas a you black see it all person, the time, the clutching, clutching right? Bags. Yeah. But the black I'm person's stress two, level, two twenty-five. Like, right. trust me, people are. Right. Oh my God, you're right. gonna, I'm not going right. to touch you. You're okay. But and even if it's, it could be a man, a white man, and his stress level will go up, right? But uh, a black person, it doesn't, and it doesn't because we're used to being around white people. Whereas in America, white people don't have to be around black people, sure. and so like when when they are around them they are uncomfortable and they go through this level of racial anxiety and that can manifest in if a white person is throwing a loud party and I don't like it I might feel comfortable going to say hey like turn that shit down oh I'm sorry no you know go turn that down or if it's a um but if it's a black person, they're gonna they they're gonna go through all kinds of especially if it's a black person with the crowd and the party's majority black, they're probably definitely not gonna come over and say, Hey, can you turn that down? Right? Because of they're just not used to being around black people. And when they are, they because of all of the stereotypes that are put you know, perpetuated because due to structural racism, institutional racism in this country, they are anxious, afraid, and 
angry or reactionary. And I mean, literally, 911 is like customer service. Facts. I hate this. Yeah. I, I can't disagree with that. Um, I got a question for you. Yes. So we've kind of spoke about all of the people who have had these kind of racist incidents kind of play out online. Right. Um, social media is doing a job of kind of policing a lot of this stuff now where right. if people happen to dislike something you're doing, right. I was a person who was uh, killed by social media last week for the first time in my life. It was really? a weird feeling. Yeah. Um, I mean, black Twitter is like extremely powerful. And I mean, all I, I'm say, all like, for yeah, it though. Black I Twitter, support like, it. Black Twitter definitely got on me. Like, and it wasn't just black, it was black yeah. woman Twitter. <laughs> okay. They gave me I love crap. it. <laughs> yes. So okay. as a person where I was asking a question and making a point where, um, and not that this is longer drawn out, woman decides to wear a ring. Mm-hmm. Uh, to ward off guys because she feels like men are overly aggressive. Okay. My comment was like, hey, if you wear a ring to a social place, I'm not saying that people shouldn't speak to you, but you shouldn't go to social spaces like that if you don't expect people to try or shoot your shot. Like, while I'm not saying that that gives any man a right to harass you, and I said this so, wait, so you're okay with her wearing the ring to be in that social space, but you're saying that if she's gonna be there, I mean, she shouldn't go at all, ring I, or not. I'm not saying you shouldn't go or not. I'm just okay. saying you should expect that to happen. A man to holler. Yeah, you. like if you go to if you go to a club or a bar, right, right, right. Whether you're taken or not, right. If somebody finds you attractive, they're gonna say something. Right. It doesn't give them a, a free pass to be rude, right. Touch up on you or do sure. anything like that or harass you. Sure. But someone's gonna say something to you. Okay. Your response is generally dictated by one of two things. A, your level you of attractiveness like to, to this person. Okay, or I B, agree. Maybe you just want to be in a good mood. So you're going to, even if that person doesn't check off the boxes that you normally would like, mm -hmm. they might have said something funny. So you're like, I'll entertain you for a little bit. You're not obligated to entertain anybody as a, as a woman. Sure. Never going to say that. Okay, good. Thank you. But I got you sure. for saying that when I'm just like, um, yo. It's like, probably the way that you said it. Oh, of course it is. But so, like, right. I got killed for it. So, I mean, because I, I think we're on the same page, uh, but I think it's totally fine that a woman wears a ring to throw off guys that she's not interested in. I mean, if I if a guy hollers at me and I'm not interested, I have a magic boyfriend immediately. Like, oh, yeah, I have a boyfriend. Like, sorry. you know. Yeah, like, but I get it. Guys don't take the hint. Yeah. You but said what? Say guys don't take the hand all the time. Like, okay, so you're I've saying... I've heard guys saying like, yo, but do you want to have a friend? Like, Okay, right, right. Mind? Like, nah, I, I wouldn't do that, but right. I've seen people do no, that. No, so, and they, and they do. So, I mean, I, I guess she she's doing that, you know, as a stronger argument for, no, like, legitimately, I'm married. Leave me alone, dude. So, um, but I don't think that is fair to say that she shouldn't go to social situations. I mean, people go to social situations well, for various she, reasons. She should go. Right. Yeah, Just okay. expect to get hollered at. Okay, yeah, I mean, you know, that's like just, nothing it's, is gonna actually turn a part a of their culture. Yeah. Many women, it's, you know, right. that's Like, it's, even it's as natural. a guy, I, feel, I personally feel like I've been sexually harassed in the club more than women have. <laughs> okay. Straight up. Like, okay. Women are grabbing <laughs> up on you. I've never okay, grabbed a girl's wow. butt in the club, okay. ever. Like, okay. I was like, that wasn't my thing. I'm yeah. like, nah, yeah. I'd rather talk to you. We'll see what's right. up. Right, right, right. Women have grabbed up on me, and I'm just like, yo. Like, yeah. Chill. Did you like, like it? You didn't nah. like it? Like, now if you're cute, they'd be like, yo, okay. Okay, let me stop real quick. Right. But when you're moving right. through the crowd and that's how type of stuff happens, you're just like, just keep moving. Like, nah, right. I'm not really feeling her situation. Right. She's pretty. Okay, I'll stop for that one. Right, right, right. It's the same thing. I'm making the calculation in my mind. Yeah. 
I mean, and and it can be tricky. You know, um, nobody should ever feel like they're being harassed or street, you know, street harassment can be a thing. But it's also it also can, I mean, depend on how good a man looks, how attractive I am, my mood at that moment, if I'm single available. You know, I think I think it's uh, I think it can be very complex. And I don't think that there's a black and white. No, that that was all I was trying to say. Everything is gray. Right. Like, it's so much gray. Like, Mm -hmm. you can be a married woman. Right. I'm not even saying that you're going to cheat on your husband. Right. But if the right guy talks to you in that kind of social environment, you'll entertain him. And it's like, yo, I got to go home to my husband. Have a good night. Right. I've seen this play out. Right. Where people are just out for a good time. That doesn't mean you're going to do anything wrong. Yeah. Cross any lines. Everybody stays within their boundaries. Sure. But people will do that. So to kind of make it seem like, oh, no one should talk to me because I have a ring. Eh, right. I get what you mean. I might not even be trying to holler at you. Right. I could have recognized you for something. And I'm like, you know what? For business purposes or whatever, you'd be dope to know. Mm-hmm. Now I shouldn't talk to you or approach you because as a guy, you're only thinking that I'm after one thing. And I'm not going to say that that's not true 90% of the time. Right. But there's a 10% where that, that's not what I'm looking for. Yeah, I mean, because also, what if you're married? What if you got a ring on too? I mean, like, it can just, people, humans can have interactions, opposite sex can have totally platonic interactions. I don't think that the assumption is um, immediately he's trying to holler at me. I don't think that that should be the assumption. Shouldn't be, but you're one of the first women that say that. Like, most women are like, nah, he, he wants something. Okay. This man wants something from me. I know it. Like, no, I, get the vibe. I don't think I don't think I don't think that should be the assumption. Um, unless I mean, unless he's you oh, know yeah. clearly. You can, it depends mean, on what he, what he's saying. Vibe. But I mean, I right. can uh, you know I've definitely been approached and is not just trying to holler at me. You know. People are like, oh, I heard about you. I seen her online. She's on that ad. Let me. <laughs> um, that kind of sidetracked me. Uh, I was making a point about social media. Right. So because of social media and people getting exposed to stuff. It's and starting to have right. Okay. It's having consequences in real life. Right. Um, do you think that's okay that people are losing Absolutely. their jobs for stuff that they do outside of work that's Absolutely. non-work related? Absolutely. So, um, for example, there's this uh, right now one of the occurrence, not scandals, but there's white guy who is a district attorney in California somewhere and. All of these uh, Facebook posts that he talked about, like um, uh, he called um, Auntie Maxine, I think uh, something super derogatory, and then was it was and it was the he said he was shocked that she hadn't been like uh, something about her being raised in the ghetto, and how he was shocked that she hadn't been shot at yet, or something like that. And then they dug up all these other um, statements that he made, and it was like. He was supportive of white males immigrating to America legally um, and becoming entrepreneurs or something like that, but like basically not for anybody else. And so this is a district attorney. Like, so he has, I mean, district attorneys and prosecutors in this country have immense power when it comes to prosecutorial discretion. And so, um, and by that prosecutorial discretion, I mean that the power to throw out a case and not even move forward with something, right? Like, so if it's something really petty or if it's a first-time offender, you look at them, you see their humanity, and you say, I'm not going to ruin this person's life for this bullshit charge, and you dismiss it. That's the prosecutorial discretion that I'm talking about. But you can also move forward with the case, and it's, you know, it could be 
a bullshit case but because they're black and you don't see that humanity in them you or if it might be you know the adultification of our black youth if this is a 13 year old but you look at them as they're as they're 17 and you're going to move forward on these misdemeanor charges that could ruin this kid's life right that is what i mean by the power of prosecutorial discretion and it's very troubling for somebody like this man to have that power i don't want that person to be a prosecutor in this country when he's making these kind of facebook comments right and so that is when i believe that he should absolutely have consequences and even when it's something as innocuous as um permit patty right like the kid didn't get arrested and she was able to go to disney world but i still think that that woman should have consequences for her actions and I say that because um I don't know and I would I I wouldn't say that that was a microaggression I think microaggression is something um much more uh minor but microaggressions happen against black people every day and um because they're so minor we don't say anything but when you take these microaggressions into the aggregate it's it's extremely traumatizing and it manifests in ways where you know black women have hypertension not even black women black men too but we have all these health um, manifestations due to the call, like the stress of being black in this country, and so I advocate for checking microaggressions. And so when somebody white says something uncomfortable and racist, but because they didn't mean it or it's innocent or um, it was a they misspoke, I think you should check them. I think you should make them uncomfortable, and you do that. And they'll never make, I promise you, they'll never make that mistake again. And so that's, it's correcting the behavior. And so um, I think that because we don't talk about race, because we don't check these microaggressions, you end up having permit patties. And so um, when people act um, contrary to, you know, when they act in racist race racist ways um i believe they should be have consequences and i think that that's the only way you're going to curb the behavior that woman all these people will never do these things again right but and does it, that stop the behavior I or think does so. so but that i don't know if that fixes the problem mm-hmm. and i How think so? that you think that because what you think that well no nah, my question my bigger question becomes mm-hmm. what's the line in the sand that we start drawing for how your actions outside of, let's say, work or any other place start affecting your life at work. Right. Now, certainly, if you commit Well, you know, I think crimes, we have to acknowledge that privacy is becoming, you there know... There is no such thing anymore. <laughs> exactly, like, right, right. I, I think agree. that as an so, American, if you want to be yeah. racist, yeah. I'm not saying that that's a good thing. Right. But clearly, if you have those thoughts and that's how you want to act, you're somewhat protected by the Constitution to do that, as right. long as you don't harm anybody. Free not speech. even somewhat. Absolutely. Yeah, First Amendment, sure. First Amendment doesn't mean like a job's going to protect you, certainly. No, employer can fire you, but you have the right to say what you want to say. But in that prosecutor, I mean, that employer has the right to fire you for your actions. Right. But I'm worried that we're going too far with it just based on social media interactions. Now, Mm -hmm. I agree in in a situation where if you're a public servant and you're supposed to, you know, quote unquote, serve the public good as an instance with like, you know, the prosecutor. Right. That's not okay. You can't. You don't have the leeway that, let's say, a regular working American who, I don't know, you're a data processor. I don't know. You know, like, this country was founded on anti-blackness. Sure. And so I have a zero zero policy tolerance 
uh, for racism. And so, and I, I would be even more forgiving if it was gender or but something you're from like Chicago. that. Chicago. Chicago's the most racist city in the country. I know. Yeah. <laughs> And it's a problem. Yeah, it is. It's a problem. It is. I mean, all the black people are on the south side and all the white people are on the white side. Well, and not the, just the fact that they literally I mean, the north segregated side the, the city like the, that and, and then put physical barriers But what do you think D.C. is? What do you think all the black people want to be east of the river? Come on. Well, now, you know the black people used to uh, run Georgetown, right? Run Georgetown, but Berry Farms used to be a, a community of black um, homeowners. Right. And then they took that through eminent domain and put up public housing in the Suitland Parkway. Right. And so, I mean, like, the, but even if you look at, so, so it's not, I mean, it's not just Chicago, right? So it's everywhere. But um, because this country is so racist, I'm always supportive of consequences for racism. So when you have consequences, um, I think this is where I look at a situation like, what happened with the store manager at the Starbucks in Philly. Right. Um, I don't know if we heard about, you know, the job situation of the person or the people that were on duty at the time that called the police. Right. But Starbucks' response was to say, okay, we're going to have some sensitivity training in regards Bias to race. Training. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, we're going to shut down and do all of this to try to move the conversation forward. Right. Which do you think is more helpful? The person that's losing their job or learning why some of these things are just not acceptable and not, why they're not okay. So I advocate racial equity training. I actually do them. <laughs> we we actually hire um, um, organizations to do them for policymakers, and that's one of the things that I do is try to when if a policymaker is like, hey, I'm not really sure what is the difference between institutional and structural racism. I'm not really sure what implicit and explicit bias is, and I think it's really important. To, Cause that's like that's how we normalize talking about race is for us to have a shared analysis, right? We have to know definitions. We have to know when I say something that you what understand means, what I'm right. talking about, right? So I'm, I'm all for racial equity training, um, and I advocate it. I love it. Uh, I think, I, and I've seen um, people change after going through these kind of deep dives into uh, the the history of this country, but. Um, like, see, I don't that think that, that takes away fired, right? Right. So, like, I don't think that uh-huh. you shouldn't have no, like any consequences, right? But I'm thinking of what level should we go? Right. Because a lot of times, mm-hmm. if you go too far with your consequences, all you're well, doing is increasing. I'm the not necessarily that everybody should be fired. Okay. So, but there is a consequence, and so maybe your consequence is mandatory training, and then I want some outcomes though. So I need to see some kind of generation of outcomes with that training, right? But how do you um, know it's genuine? Because a lot of times right. we're looking for genuine Which is genuine why outcomes. I say I have yeah. to have some outcomes, like, right? Like, we need to like, see something need, genuine. Like, I don't yeah. want to see you write a report on, right. like, you know, Or you did wrong. a four-hour training, and now you're not racist anymore. No, right. I, I, I would need some, I need, like, a deep dive. I need, um, I need you to tell me why, why you've changed, all right? I need to believe it. So, um, if, in lieu of being fired, I'd be supportive of racial equity training um, with the proof of outcomes. But that's a consequence still for their actions, right? So, I mean, I'm still supportive of consequences. Okay. So, see, I can agree with that. Um, I just know that the response usually that you hear from people is, you know, I'm not racist. And in times, there are times where I might think that same person looks shady. Mm -hmm. Now, again, just like we had mentioned earlier, I'm not going to call the police just because... Right. You know, there's such a history with that. And I know where those things can go. Right. It doesn't mean I didn't have that exact same thought. 
Right. And so I don't necessarily want to penalize all white people for having some of the thoughts that I do. I want them to know why certain actions when you have those thoughts aren't okay. Right. That. And then um, I I think it's it's important to note that uh, racial anxiety often manifests um, physically the same way that racism does. And so I say that to say that uh, sometimes people aren't being racist, they are just experiencing racial anxiety. And so uh, physically they like close up, they start putting their hands and unfolding their arms and they start like like shaking and like leaning away. And that's, that behavior physically is exactly what a racist would do. And so for people of color, when we see behavior like that, we tend to assume, oh, you're racist because like, look at you closing, you're closing off, right? And that might not necessarily be what's happening. And so in those moments, um, it's encouraged that you lean into that uncomfortableness, right? And so you consciously don't close up and you, I mean, which is contrary to what we naturally do. So you, it's, it's, it's hard. Um, but, the, and so, and again, because it's so hard, the more we talk about it, the more comfortable we'll be. While white people will experience racial anxiety, black people, we also need racial healing because we've gone through a lot of trauma. And so it's not... Everybody has work to do. It's just trying to figure out um, to build those bridges in the midst of doing that work, if possible. Uh, Last question for you, and I sort of know where you're going to go with this, but I just want to know. Everybody's seen the term anti-Kanye West. Right. Being from Chicago, is that somebody where you've already kind of turned a blind eye towards him, or has it been more of his actions of like 2018 that have made you really kind of Oh, no. I've been through with Kanye for a while now. Um, and from Chicago, I loved him in the beginning. You know, it was a when college dropout. Yeah. polo shirts. Okay. Right, right. When, you know, um, when he loved his mother and black women, uh, you know, that's uh, when I loved him. And so now, um, I wouldn't say I hate him. I'm just extremely disappointed. Um and I, I don't like to say I hate people, but I dislike him a lot. <laughs> and so, um, and I say that because I think he's causing real damage, right? And so... Um, yeah, you actually saw, and I, I've i made it a point to, to not really mention Donald Trump. Right. Uh, mostly just because I didn't want to have a political podcast. Right. And I felt like every week we were talking about him. Right. But there was a noticeable change in like the the black perception of Donald Trump after his statements. Right. That's a problem. That on top of you had black people saying, "Well, well, maybe slavery was choice," and 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 not only black people but white people were legitimately like, "Yeah, like you know." We've been saying this all along. It's now yeah, see exactly. It. He legitimized it, so I'm never a fan of giving giving credibility to racism, and I feel like that is exactly what he's doing. Um, this idea that and and, and it, you know it, it's also that. Uh, argument that um southern slave owners weren't that bad right like you know slavery wasn't that bad that's why people slaves you know were docile and liked this lifestyle they were provided for you know um and it was we all know that that was absolutely not true exactly nothing you could do about it. right right the the brutalization of slavery is something that i didn't realize how bad it was especially in it took me to being an adult to see just you know the visceral reaction when i saw uh, what's my man's movie? Um, that was it, Nate Parker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, uh, Birth, Birth of, of a Nation. Nation. Right. The brutality of that movie. Right. Even though I thought the movie sucked. 
Right. The brutality of that movie was something that just sticks with me. So that's the problem in American education system. It's not taught. Um, I was lucky, but I'm an exception to the extent that I went to a pro-black private school growing up. And so um, and in the south side of Chicago, a black nationalist school uh, founded by Baba Hakim Matabuti in the um, late 70s. And um, so... so a lot of times written by the victor and because of that a lot of times like absolutely and so a lot of times african americans don't you know experience not even you know real history but even like our accomplishments right like our studies all of the great things that we've done in this society um until college until you go if you're at an hbcu or if you're at a college and you take like an african-american studies class right and that's too late and that's like crazy and then what I think is even more crazy is now like the whitewashing of history is still going on like you have Texas Instruments and um which is like one of the biggest manufacturer of textbooks in this country saying that uh slaves were undocumented workers right. day workers right, right. and you that was a the, big thing like I, I think it was uh I want to say that law passed under George Bush where they allowed certain states that kind of change the way yeah the is it's crazy and because texas is one of the states where literally most of your school books are written right the narrative. Yeah. almost i mean i think all of my textbooks in um high school when i did go to a a, a regular um public school were by texas instruments but you know my parents are extremely pro-black so i mean they are very we're very and i come from a very pro-black community in chicago and so but see i come from dc right yeah i'm it's chocolate city. Yeah. So there's certainly a part of knowing the good parts of our history. Right. But no one really talks about just how bad things were. Right. Like, I got all of the accomplishments. I could check off people. And I was reading Langston Hughes poems when I was right. like, you know, second grade. Right. All of that's cool. Right. But again, nobody told us how bad things were. Like, I didn't know that, you know. 80% of the, the slaves that were coming from Africa were dying on the ship over. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I didn't realize that, like, people were laying on top of each other for a trip that's, a, you know, two months in the right. making. Like, right. the conditions with which that we lived in, mm -hmm. they were never really explained. And then when you started seeing a lot of these images and movies because of the way where now we're desensitized to everything. They feel right. like it's okay to show us stuff. Right. You see how bad it was. Mm -hmm. It's just a shock to me. Yeah. It's such a shock to me. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I look at like, yay, and I'm like, I believed in you being the guy that was talking about kids getting their arms blown off because of conflict diamonds. Right. I believe in you being the person who's been kind of singing, you know, you want everybody to kind of come together and do these things and you're very pro-black and you like all of this stuff. And now you turn into something where... And I'm not going to blame this on a woman or his wife because I think this was him. But it's, you know, all you cared about is your fashion. I can't personally say I've loved the Kanye album since. And I know everybody loves A Dark Twisted Fantasy. I like the other people on it. Like the production was amazing. Mm -hmm. I didn't think that was his best album. Right. Um, but I think his last great album, in my opinion, was... Uh, was the singing joint? Uh, 808's Heartbreak. Heartbreak. That was the last one that I actually listened to. That um, was my, that was I my haven't album. heard any of his latest albums since then. Um, and I think 
it was an interview that I think he was talking about the fashion industry. And I think that's when I let, I let him go for real and was completely done with him. And I think he was saying that racism didn't exist. It was all about classism, right? And, and he was mad um, because they wouldn't let him in. Right. right. And so classism has always existed um, in our culture, in this country. And so, and even within the black community. But black people, even through the classism, black people always knew that at the end of the day, you know, Racism trumped everything. So right. at the end of the day, the police was coming from my son. And he's probably coming from my son more so if my son was driving a BMW anyway, right? But there was always this, this we knew that at the end of the day, it's about race. And so we were able to come together when it came to issues that affected low income or high income issues. Because at the end of the day, it's all racism. With Kanye, I think that was when I was really kind of like, oh my God, he's really checked out. But even now, I think that he's just out of touch. Like he doesn't know. I think he's not, I don't, I don't know. I couldn't tell you if I believed he was intelligent or smart, but I don't. I think that he is misinformed. And I think that because of his money and his new class stature, he has the luxury to be informed. You don't, he doesn't have to watch the news. He doesn't have to, he lives in a, he can live on the hill in a gated community he surrounded by all the white people in the world. Right and so you really, he, I think he probably does really start believing stuff like that. Crazy um, ideas like this. And I think he was Googling like people. Like, did you see that? Um, I think he he uh, tweeted how he was looking up Angela Rye, you know what I mean? And looking up, he didn't, I think T.I. was saying that he, Kanye, he was talking to Kanye and Kanye had no idea about the Muslim ban. And so it's like, yo, like you are misinformed and the problem is you're saying these damaging statements and right. you're misinformed. And I never, like, I mean, like you have to like know what you're talking about. I mean, at the end of the day, know what you're talking about. And he doesn't. And I think, you know, Ta-Nehisi Coates in his article about Kanye, I, you know, I didn't really agree with it because Kanye is checked out and he does have the luxury to um, not have these cares about, you know, being discriminated against because he's raced, because he is a superstar and because he has this money and wealth and um, can, you know, um, walk white. I mean, I guess uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates' whole point is that Kanye has um, liberated himself from the race, right? And and yeah, I didn't and, particularly care for that article. I mean, I, I don't think you can't. It's not comparable to Michael Jackson. It's not comparable to Michael Jackson because, yes, Michael Jackson had colorism, and I mean, any black person in this country, we have to deal with. You know, uh, well, we Michael have Jackson to overcome super black. self. We have like, to overcome. He just self, didn't like, like the way that he looked he, because he, of his exactly. dad. Michael, Michael Jackson, Jackson was, was like the black. biggest philanthropist of civil yeah, rights say, in like, this nah, world. Like super black. all we of his Michael money Jackson went to black issues. You know, super pale. He, he never did. Yeah, he, he never believed that. he wasn't black, right. and he fought like through his music. But I'm talking about through his money. Right. He invested in black issues all the time. And I think at the time of his death, I think he was the biggest civil rights uh, anti-blackness philanthropist. And so Kanye is nowhere near at that level, and he's not comparable. Um, but he is checked out. So do you think something like that can ultimately, and at least for Kanye, um, I won't front, I listened to Ye once. Uh, Is that his new album? Yeah, I think okay. it's, it's seven tracks. Okay. I like one of the seven. Okay. Um, so I think that the music is trash. But where he had a lot of traction is like through fashion. 
Right. I wasn't really buying the holy sweatshirts oh or my like God. sweatpants for like eight hundred dollars easy yeah. season anything. Yeah. But everybody bum two point <laughs> Yeah, but a lot of people had the sneakers. Okay. And it's kind of weird because once this happened, I sold mine. Okay. Like I was like, I'm I applaud out. you. Thank you. Yeah, I was like, I'm out. A lot of my friends gave me a hard you time. Did good. Like, nah, what are you doing? Like you're right. bugging. Nah, right. I'm out. Right. Um, and I'm a sneakerhead. Right. Uh, so it's a little. So that was weird. a sacrifice. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, I really like those two pairs too. But mm-hmm. what ended up happening is then I started noticing that I don't see people wearing them the same anymore. Mm-hmm. At least black people. I hear a lot of black people specifically speaking out against Kanye. Mm-hmm. Um, whether I'm talking the Joe Buttons of the world, I'm a big Button fan. Mm-hmm. Um, you see people who have sort of like some semblance of a platform say that these things aren't okay and how they're not supporting them. But then on the flip side, you have a lot of black people like, well, the music is knocking, so why not listen? Right. Or you know that the sneakers are dope, so why aren't you going to cop right. them? And it's like, at some point, we got to stand for something. Something. You have to stand for something. Right. And, and that's so... it's disappointing because as everybody now, people mm-hmm. in our age group, you probably have group me, WhatsApp or something. Everybody has a group chat that they're on. Right. Group chat killed me for days for it. Like, I'm right. getting added every time Kanye did something. So you're not going to listen to the Nas album. Right. You're not going to listen to the Pusha album. Right. And I'm like, nah. Like, I'm yeah. not really trying to make that choice. Now, I won't front. I, I gave Nas a listen because I love Nas. Right. Uh, I listened to Pusha. But I didn't listen to Kid See Ghosts again. Mm-hmm. I listened to Ye mostly just because a friend of mine convinced me, like, yo, you have a podcast. You have to listen to stuff for content purposes. I get that you don't want to support it. Mm-hmm. But that's hurting what you need to do because maybe your opinion's important. Fine, I'll listen. But I haven't gone back to give it a second spin. And again, I think the biggest impact is like, I'm just not spending my money on things that I feel like he's really involved in. I don't know how much money a stream is worth um, to Apple Music. Mm -hmm. I know one stream ain't that much. It's probably one one hundredth of a cent, Mm -hmm. maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, But I just wonder, like, it's a weird thing seeing so many people run from somebody that they love so much. Right. And and I mean, in every endeavor. I support it. Um, I support it because, uh, and I always plug books, so I'm going to plug a book, The Go Color of Law um, by Richard Rothstein. But before you read that, I want you to read Stamp from the beginning. It's so good. But it's all about um, the concept of race, and it traces uh, the beginning of race in America um, and then, you know, how we got to where we are today, but it's phenomenal. Um, and it goes beyond just race in America. But The Color of Law, Richard Rothstein is this Jewish guy, wrote this book called The Color of Law and it's all about um, housing segregation and um, how, and it's the forgotten history. Like a lot of times people don't understand like how, like, you know, redlining and how all the black people are on the South Side, how all the black people are in Barry, East of the River and like why that is. And then, you know, and even further looking into those, you all the environmental detriments are always where the black people are, you know, the dumping, et cetera. But sure. I was at a talk and he was there and he was giving this talk on this book. And then he says like, you know, by and large, like black people have it, like white people, but by by and large, black people have accepted this state of oppression in this country. And it, it triggered me and it really bothered me because I was like, I've never accepted this, like, you know, like ever accepted uh, this fucked up anti-blackness uh, country. But then, you know, you look at like people that do the, like that Kanye and his supporters and people like, by and large, we don't stand. We have moments 
of um, protests, right? But we eventually don't stand yeah we don't vote no we don't vote we don't participate we don't testify at hearings we don't show up when we need to um we'll have one moment and we all you know stand we all come out and support but then eventually and then we fade right back into the crowd and so we're not there after the protest we're not there showing up at the policymakers. we're not running elections you know um i mean shout out to black women because black people are black, yeah, black women, women are holding it down, down right um, my um, grandmother got me involved in politics at an early age yeah so i'm you know six seven years old at the polls handing out like hey vote this ticket right learning about stuff so i right. get it. shout out to black this women. i mean this system is fucked up and the only way we're going to change it is to do something about it and we don't and so and that's unfortunate and i mean and I, I mean, I never want to prove him right, but he said that. And I was like, what the fuck? Hell no, we've never accepted this. But some of us, and by and large, a lot of us actually have. And I mean, and I get it to the extent that, like, I'm not trying to say that black people got to stop thriving and making money. But what what are you doing? I mean, at the end of the day, you got to think about us as a culture because everybody else does. To white people, we're a monolith. And so what are we doing to our for our people? So I'm going to plug a movie that I just saw yesterday. It's mm-hmm. the reason why I looked down on my phone. I couldn't remember the name of it. Mm-hmm. Sorry to bother you dropped last Friday officially. Mm-hmm. And it touches on a lot of the issues that you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Like, it's super crazy with... The movie just has all of this kind of like I won't even say hidden meaning. It's very much in your face exactly what they're talking about. Right, because I saw a uh, advertising for it. Because who's in it? Uh, Lakeith Stanfield. Yes, I love the him. guy from uh, yes, Atlanta from Get yeah. Out. Yeah, Atlanta, and he supports black women. We all do. Yeah, no, I'm talking about he had actually a YouTube. Um, like talking about how he loves black women. Yeah, like, so like, I love black women. Um, no, yeah, yeah. So, like I feel like uh, I got killed. I want to see I put it. on something that, and I think I said it on my podcast, and I've been getting killed for it ever since. I was like, I don't have white girl game, so I'm no disrespect to white women. I think right. Scarlett Johansson's pretty, she's right. gorgeous. Right. I, that's not my lane. Right. Like I go a different way. Right. Oh god. I and I support it. No. Yeah. Oh, I got killed for that. It was. Just I like, support bruh. it absolutely. And that's, again, it was no disrespect to anybody. Right. It was just like, I want somebody that understands. No, because everybody, I mean, everybody can be attractive, right? Beauty, trans, oh, sense, race. But it doesn't, I can have a preference. And especially if you have a preference for your kind or your race, then, you know, and I mean, I can acknowledge that it's a social construct, but it's a social construct that we live in. And so uh, I can say that, I mean, it's nothing wrong. Like, it's, it's only problematic when somebody says, I only date this race and it's not their race. To me, that's problematic because I mean, you're all you do all kinds of self hatred at that point. Sure. Um, but no, I want to see the movie. So was it good? I thought the movie. If I'm giving it a ranking, I'd say it's like a six point five out of ten. Not okay. meaning that it's bad. Right. It definitely has some cool points. It goes way left mm-hmm. in like the last. Because isn't it like a change? Minutes. It's like an alternate reality, or they change. Nah, it's here. Okay. Okay. It's set in our universe. Okay. But just some weird stuff happens. Okay. And it's very symbolic. That's mm-hmm. the reason it takes that turn. Right. Um, but you should see it. Okay. Like it's one of those things where you could literally sit around, have your friends, everybody's drinking, whatever, and you talk about that for an hour, hour and a half. Right. Like it's that I kind of I love those movie. kind of movies. Yeah, right. Okay. It's one of those movies that make you think. So that was the big reason I wanted to see it. Um, yeah. I figure at some point I'm probably gonna have somebody on the podcast to kind of talk about it, to dissect that just because 
again, it's so interesting. And right. We don't really see a lot of black indie movies that get this kind of buzz. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yusha, have you heard of Quali TV? No. Quali TV is a black streaming um, service, and it's founded by a, a sister here, Deshauna. And uh, Quali TV, it's uh, all independent black films, and it's really? African, it's American, it's black communities all over the country okay and it's pretty cheap but i i um i advise everybody to check it out quale it's like k-w-e-l-i tv so like talib quale almost like that yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm mm-hmm. like yeah you pronounce mm-hmm. but i think she quale. pronounces it quale yeah, yeah i'm like mm-hmm. thinking the highest form and like she's type. dope she just uh got a harvard business school something i don't know she's dope check it out okay no nah, i'll do that mm-hmm. um I think this episode's been dope. Uh, it's one of those things where, again, like I was really holding off on having this specific conversation right. just for us. Right. Like I, I've been slacking on kind of recording, like, and a bunch of people are like, getting on me, sending me messages like, "Yo, okay. what's going on?" Right. I haven't really liked a lot of the content that I did um, since probably like end of May. So I'm like, ah, I'm not putting mm-hmm. it out. I don't really like it. But this I love. Okay. Oh, so, good. I'm- yeah, Glad I didn't like I already, I already tell. I could love it. Okay. Um, you got anything you want to plug? Obviously, you got the floor. Um, no, like you know, uh, I really believe in self education. So I think people got to read books. Please read books. If you can't read the book, do an audio book. Um, but I, I hate listening to books. Audio books, really? Yeah, um, you read. I'm trying to see what else is out there. Oh, um, I think race talk and difficult conversations is another book I really like. Um, what are your thoughts on Tim Wise? I like him. Okay. Um, I like Jane Elliott, Tim Wise. I think, you know, I'm all for allies and white folks speaking truth to power, uh, even though it's, you know, they're the ones with the power. Um, so, you know, I think that, I think that white people can be more receptive to their kind telling them about themselves than they are to us. So, you know, allies are always welcome. Um, but you know, black folks, I mean, just get involved whichever way they can. Um, we got right now, there's a, when I was on my way over here, I stopped, there's the, uh, rally that was happening. Have you heard about this noise ordinance? Um, this noise, uh, act, I'm about to mess up the name of the bill, but right now DC council is trying to pass a bill that basically says that, uh, street performers and, um, people who have parts, you can't use the amp. Right, so because um, everybody's plugging up their hands, but it's so right, me here, right, right. So if you if you have if you're a street performer and you use an amp, then you could be fined three hundred dollars and up to ten days in jail. And when when white people introduce legislation like that, and Anita Bonds is a black woman, she introduced that bill, but it was supported by Mary Che and Jack Evans. And when um, you're prescribing behavior like that, I mean, you know, you know, you know, you're prescribing black behavior is what you're doing. You're criminalizing black behavior because uh, by and large, the street performers in D.C. are uh, are black, so and people of color. So yeah. But um, so get involved, I guess is all I would have to say. Uh, sure. I would plug though my Black Millennial Convention. Nah, do it, it happened a few weeks ago, our inaugural convention. This was based off of um, in Gary, Indiana, in like the nineteen. Oh, I'm about to nah, lie on my history. Um, they had a Black Black Political Power Convention in Gary, Indiana, back in the day. It was super successful, but then they did it for a few years and it stopped 
And so we had me and some friends. It was actually Wes Bellamy, who's a Charlotteville council member. It was his idea to redo the Black Political Power Convention. We had it in um, Crystal City uh, at the end of June, and it's called the Black Millennial Political Power, um, Black Millennial Political Convention, um, or Black Millennial Convention. And we have two names right now. But um, next year, we're going to have it again. It'll probably be around Juneteenth, the same time we did this year. And it's going to be dope. Um, we expected 150 millennials. Ended up being 250 millennials. Nice. Um, yeah, we had uh, Professor Carr. He's the George Carr. Um, Greg Carr, he's the director of African-American um, Studies Department at Howard. We had uh, Michael Eric Dyson, shout out to the Hoyas. I went to law school at Georgetown, so I love my Hoya lawyers. Um, and uh, it was just dope. It was phenomenal. We had congressmen come out. We had great conversations, great sessions, and all about you know getting involved and getting some power. So here you go. How do you grow that? How do we grow it? Mm-hmm. Uh, social media, and I'm shout out to Joelle Jones. Joelle is uh, a millennial. I'm a, I'm a millennial. I'm an older millennial, though. Yeah, and me too. Like, I'm, I'm like right at the cusp. I don't right. want to claim it, but yeah. Right, right, right. And so uh, Joelle is one of our younger millennials, and he's on the steering committee for BMC. And he literally is like a social media guru. I think he's one of the youngest state elected representatives in the country. Um, I think he's 24 right now um, oh wow okay and so uh he literally anything that we did it was like all right now i need everybody like we were like for example we're all sitting down eating we had a wakanda ball to close out the uh, convention everybody's eating down enjoying the time too i was like all right can everybody get up and go outside and i'm gonna film y'all coming in dancing right and everybody's like what and it was like a hassle right but everybody did it and then you have these beautiful clips of everybody dancing to African music coming into this Wakanda ball, right? And so, I mean, it's that. So social media has been extremely important and useful for us. Um, The networks, because we ended up having like a lot of black elected officials because right now the black millennials are getting active and running. And so through networks, like through our networks, through like, um, um, it's called YEO, Young Elected Officials, is a network that a lot of our steering committee members are members of because they serve or um, are former public officials. But I felt like it was through social media. That's how we, that's how we ended up getting it as big as it was. And then, um, yeah, so, I mean, next year it's going to be bigger and better. But honestly, I'd probably say, like, it grows through social media. We're in the age of technology. Like, that's literally how it grew. Okay. Well, Tammy, again, I thought this was dope. Um, I appreciate the talk. If I can ever plug it to help you guys out, yep. please let me know. I'm going to uh, tap you. Yeah, I, I got you, um, especially with D.C. Uh, most of my listeners come from D.C. and L.A. Okay. You know. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, so I lived in L.A. for five years. Okay, so, West Coast. Yeah, like yeah I, got, I don't like, like it. Network, but... And then I made like friends of mine out there like, yo, you got to push my podcast. You like L.A.? L.A. was dope. Okay. L.A. was dope. It's I mean, I don't think it's any different here. It just has better weather. And it does have relaxed. better weather. Yeah, and it's more relaxed. People don't care. All right, is it more relaxed? Okay. All right, yeah. we could have another debate about that another time. Nah, we will. Okay. Thank you. I yep. appreciate this one. We out of here. Bye.